This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for April 23rd, 2018. April is the month chosen to highlight the gender wage gap, and it's a topic of hot debate. People can't agree how much it is, or what it is, or whether it matters, and they can't even agree whether it actually exists. Let's see what our guest has to say. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. On the line now, I have Hadley Heath-Manning. She's a director of policy for the Independent Women's Forum and for Independent Women's Voice, and she's also a fellow at the Steamboat Institute. She's had many media appearances, and her work has been published everywhere from the Wall Street Journal and Forbes and Politico to Huffington Post. And um, Hadley, April this month, what's special about April for you? Each April, feminists on the left in the United States say Mm -hmm. that women have to work to catch up to men's earnings from the prior year. So usually sometime during this month, um, this year in 2018, it happens to fall on April 10th. Different years, depending on the figures, it falls on a different day. Uh, feminists look at the wage gap statistic, which is a statistic published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, mm-hmm. comparing the average earnings of men and the average earnings of women. And the idea behind Equal Pay Day is that um, because women earn less, women have to work harder and further into the following year simply to catch up with men. And that's a premise that uh, I've challenged in a lot of my work. It's it's a premise that I disagree with because I don't um, believe we should be suggesting that women are unfairly paid um, systematically in the United States. Okay, well, let's just listen to a quick quote from former President Obama. Over the course of her career, a working woman with a college degree will earn on average hundreds of thousands of dollars less than a man who does the same work. Now, that's wrong. I want every child to grow up knowing that a woman's hard work is valued and rewarded just as much as any man's. So to anyone who says 77 cents on the dollar sounds pretty close to equal, I say, uh, your math is bad. Hadley, is your math bad or is President Obama, ex-President Obama, was what he's saying correct? You know, with all respect to the former president, his math is bad. I agree with everything he said. You know, of course, no one wants women to be treated unfairly. We all believe in the concept of equal pay for equal work. Mm-hmm. But that's that's where the rub is. You know, whether or not the wage gap is truly an apples to apples comparison, that's where the president, the former president and I see this issue very differently. It is fair enough to say that women earn less than men on average in the United States and in most countries around the world. However, it's not fair to say 
that this is a measure of discrimination against women. And it's not fair to suggest that the wage gap is a measure of equal pay for equal work because the wage gap statistic, the one the president cited, he said 77 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, that figure is probably closer to 82 cents on the dollar. It continues to close uh, as women's roles in our families and women's roles in the workplace continue to evolve and change and become more like men's in, you know, sort of a general sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, that statistic does not take into account factors like which profession you're working in or how much education you have, how much experience or seniority you have, how many hours you work per day or per week, or what your working conditions are like. And certainly we would expect those factors to affect the way that any worker is paid regardless of sex. So when economists do account for those figure, for those factors, they find that the wage gap um, shrinks significantly uh, in some studies uh, as far as reversing, <laughs> suggesting that women can earn more than men. Um, you know, so depending on how you splice, slice the data or how you compare um, the work that women and men do, uh, I think the 77 cents on the dollar statistic is is rather meaningless. It's just a comparison of averages and without correction for the variables that affect pay doesn't tell us much about how women are treated in the workplace. Okay, and and that's kind of what I expected you to say on that. And it's certainly true that if you want to start a flame war on Reddit or on Facebook or anywhere else, you can bring up this subject and you will have some people saying, look at the figures, be it 77 or 82 cents on the dollar. And other people saying, ah, but you have to account for X, Y, and Z. And I'm wondering how much of those X, Y, and Zs are really valid things that should be accounted for. And I just want to examine a couple of them. One of them is that women work less. And that doesn't mean that women are working in part-time roles. Women in full-time roles work fewer hours than men in the same full-time roles. What do you think is going on there? And is that a a bona fide reason contributing to this earnings gap? Well, you know what's interesting? The wage gap only takes into account paid work. And um, I would believe it if you told me that women did the lion's share of unpaid work in our country, in our homes, um, in terms of childcare, housekeeping, uh, community service, volunteering. Women are much more likely than men to commit um, many hours of their time to unpaid work. And of course, that isn't taken into account. So to suggest that women work less than men, we have to keep in mind, we're only talking about paid work. And so that's sort of... Sure. And, be, and, and at that employed, brain. employed paid work, when you go into... Right self-employed and so forth, then the, the boundaries are much uh, much softer. But focusing on employed work, and I don't want to dismiss unpaid work or you know work in the home and so forth, I want to just go through a couple of those items. For example, right. women in, in jobs work fewer hours. Wh- what do you think is causing that? Well, a couple of things. First, it's probably because uh, as women and men reach a certain age, usually that age is about mid-20s, they start to take on different roles in their families. That certainly plays a big part as women bear children um, and spend time outside of the workforce uh, raising their families. That's one of the largest contributing factors to um, the decisions that women and men make either to, we we say, lean in Mm -hmm. because of the Sheryl Sandberg book or to lean out of, of the workplace and focus more on other pursuits. And another factor is that when you ask Mothers and fathers who work, um, at least when the Pew Research Organization did this, they found that working mothers are more likely to say that they prefer part-time work. And so I think in this whole discussion, there's sometimes there's this suggestion that working mothers or working women are all 
victims, that we're all oppressed, that society places these expectations on us as women and as moms, um, and that we really have no choice in the matter, no control in the matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of a, a sexist suggestion. <laughs> I think it takes away from the agency that we have as women and the choices that we have as women. Roll back there, roll back there, roll back there, Hadley. Um, is that getting dangerously close to the uh, don't worry your pretty little head argument that you can uh, maybe have a cleaning job or work in a tea shop or something and while the men do the real work I'm sure there are some women who you know prefer that as a career choice I'm sure there's some men who prefer it as a as a career choice but women are ending up in those roles much more at a much greater rate than men that's unarguable are you sure that's always for choice through choice well, I'm sure it's not always, you know, always I try to avoid anything that's always or never, because mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. though wage discrimination has been illegal in the United States since the 1960s, um, through the Equal Pay Act and through the Civil Rights Act, both statutes uh, protect women from wage discrimination in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I would never say that wage discrimination never takes place. And I would never say that, you know, certain women on uh, certain situations don't face pressures from their families or uh, from any other actors um, sort of putting them in a position to make choices that they may not be very excited about. However, on the whole, to suggest that all women or most women are sort of brainwashed into taking on these lower paying professions or to taking on these roles in their families uh, that differ from men's roles. I think that that's the argument that says, don't worry, you're pretty little head. That's the argument that suggests that women don't have agency, don't have power, don't have choice in the matter. And um, my you know, understanding of it is that when women make those choices, they are conscious of the trade-offs they're making. And many women are happy to trade higher pay uh, for some of their other pursuits and some of the rewards of motherhood and some of the rewards of spending less time at work. Yeah, you pause on that, Hadley. Many women are. That's true. And, and I, personally, I think that's unarguably true. But not all women are. And some women are are highly work focused whether they have children or not they there are many women who uh, their career is very important to them they want to get ahead and they fight hard and at the top of professions so you can argue that some women because they don't want to work such long hours because they don't want to make work the sole focus of their life particularly after they've had children and so forth they make a choice to take their foot off the gas pedal in their in their career but that's not all women and there are no shortage of examples at the very top of the game where women are being paid very significantly less. And we've seen that, for example, at, at, you know, top flight Hollywood actors where really huge stars, I think Jennifer Lawrence was one example, being paid very significantly less than their co-stars in a, in a Hollywood blockbuster film. Now, that's millions of dollars per film. That's out of the league of most people. But if you're saying that women, most women don't want to get to the top, that's fine or many, perhaps it would be better to say, don't want to get to the top, that's fine. But some do, and the ones who do at the top seem to be discriminated against. Well, first of all, the, to to clarify what I'm saying about the choices of many women, some women 
that's simply relevant in the context of the wage gap and simply relevant as an explanatory factor. The wage gap mm-hmm. itself is such a blunt instrument that when we do take into account the choices of many women and men, of course, that's why we get to a figure like 82 mm-hmm. percent. Now, to address the idea that, you know, those women who are leaning in, who are dedicating, you know, their whole lives to their careers, who really want to to reach the height of their professional attainment. You know, I've seen those examples, too. And, and specifically what I would say about Hollywood. And another common example is in the world of athletics, where, um, you know, very... Um, I, I would think that's different. Athletes. I think there's a confounding factor there because... I think there, the same confounding variable is at work in Hollywood, where you have separate labor markets for the roles that women and men as actors can play. Sure, sure but, but, but for example... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is one of the hottest tickets in Hollywood and when she's earning literally millions of dollars less in the same film as her co-star, that does seem to suggest that something's wrong. Well, in the case of one person like Jennifer Lawrence, you know, who are, who am I to say and who are you to say what she deserves and what is fair? That's I think really, she had a lot you know, to say about it. She did, certainly. And she's one of the parties for whom it's particularly relevant. And, and one of the things that she said, if I recall this debate correctly, um, mm-hmm. was that she um, really questioned the extent to which she and her agent negotiated for that pay. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, is another part of the discussion about the wage gap, the extent to which women, whether they are at the very top, the pinnacle of, of, of a career or a profession, or mm-hmm. women who are working in hourly wage jobs, the extent to which women negotiate, especially compared um, to the extent that men negotiate for pay, I think certainly has an influence over how much we're paid. And this isn't to suggest that uh, pay is always fair. You can find anecdotes and you can find examples of where women are mistreated. And I, I mentioned that earlier. We simply do the best we can in terms of our legal system and the protections that are there um, to allow women to make the case and make complaints. And many women do file complaints with the Equal, Opportunity, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission each year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the extent but, to which but women... You see, you are, see there's, a, there's a kind of a damned if you do and damned if you don't there, Hadley, because you can say, okay, the very top tier of, of very exceptional careers aren't relevant to most people, and that's true, but where you have those differences right at the top, those draw headlines and they are emblematic for what might well be happening but is not being highlighted much further down the, la- uh, the ladder. You know, I, I think it's interesting what you're saying about headlines and what messages we're sending and what you know, suggestions we're giving to women and girls throughout the United States, because I had this experience as a young girl, I opened a magazine. And at this time, I don't know if I'm giving away my age, but at this time, the wage gap was something like 70 cents on the dollar. So Mm -hmm. um, a little bit further behind where we were today. And I think that it is actually dangerous to suggest, um, by and large, to women and girls that there's no chance that they will be treated fairly in the workplace, because that's essentially what a message is. Oh, nobody said that. Of the, well, the misinterpretation oh, that's, that's, of the Oh, that's a straw man. Come on. Well, I believe that when President Obama said that women earn 77 cents on the dollar and the average you know, college-educated woman will earn hundreds of thousands of dollars less than her male counterpart, that is a suggestion. Sure, that yes. That, that, that's, that was a crude unfair. and probably misleading way of putting it. That, that's, that's true. But, uh, so to, but the straw man, it's his straw man. That, that's his straw man, yeah. And, for, and when I, I think we'll have President Obama on the, ex-President Obama on the podcast next week and I'll challenge him with that, with that when I talk to him. Um, but, but I think it's a dangerous suggestion because 
because it, it sends a very disempowering message to girls that you're going to grow up and there's no chance you'll be Oh, here. no. Oh, come on. That's a, that's, that's a silly talk. No, that's a silly talking point for the right. You can't complain about discrimination because that will perpetuate discrimination. I don't, I don't no, buy I that for a minute. I think be careful to say that there are real cases of discrimination and that the wage gap is not a measure of discrimination. I think we should be careful to suggest that well, are, are, are you sure? Are you sure? Because, okay, because I want, to, I want to go from the top end. Is, I want to go from the top end. And I think you're correct. And I think that people who argue the case of the wage gap often are, frankly, statistically illiterate and they don't understand the mathematics of what they're talking about. And that undermines that case. And you can say, for example, and I think it's, it's, it's valid to say that women tend to make different life choices and therefore tend to end up earning less. And that is a contributor. To it, but for example, uh, and one thing I looked up for this is uh, Stephen Horowitz. He is a professor of free enterprise at the Department of Economics at Ball State University. I just want to give a quote from him. He says the consensus of the economic studies is that there is still a three to five percentage points gap of the roughly 20%, that's about 15 to 25% of the full gap that cannot be accounted for by economic differences. And that may well be due to discrimination. And to me, that ties in quite well with the fact that if you look at minorities, women of color, Hispanics and black women, the pay gap for them is larger again. And you can say, and it's quite likely to be plausible, that women make different career choices to men and then therefore end up earning less money. But it seems very implausible to me that that explains the racial element to it. Right. And I think that that's, you know, that is a good point. I think the difference there, I would argue, is that when we look at African-American women or Hispanic women and compare them to white women or white men, we do see large wage gaps. But again, these are comparisons of averages. And mm-hmm. I won't make the suggestion that uh, these are all due to choice. But I will say that if we want to... Cr- correct the difference in pay between uh, women of color and white women or white men, that we should start at those variables that I mentioned. Start at variables like education. Start at variables Mm -hmm. like work opportunity and focus on correcting that uh, unlevel playing field rather than presume that employers in the United States are all looking at, um, you know, two workers who work in exactly the same job with exactly the same education and experience and that they're systematically discriminating against one of those workers. I think that's the suggestion that the wage gap makes. Sure, yeah, there, reality, there are some people, but you, but, but, and I won't say that that's a straw man. There are some people who say that that's a very weak argument, and there's very little, uh, there's very little evidence to back it up. I can't remember who said that the proof that that doesn't happen is that if women were cheaper to employ, then businesses would just employ women. Milton Friedman. Yes, Milton Friedman said uh, that. Yes, and if you accept that, then that proves that there's no sex discrimination. It also proves that there's no racial discrimination, and it proves that there never was any sex or racial discrimination. Are you sure about that? No, I think that what that proves, rather, is that if discrimination based on sex and race were as widespread and systematic as the wage gap figures suggest, then we would see only women of color employed in jobs where really we see people of different colors and different sexes. I don't think that that proves that wage discrimination never takes place. However, it suggests that by and large, systematic discrimination like that is not the case. And I think we can we can agree on that. You know, we 
we've been through the figures and the factors that are ignored by a basic uh, comparison of wages. And what I have to say again about people who are in groups that uh, find themselves in the lowest wage jobs, um, in large part, that is often due to um, lower levels of education and training. And that's where we go to address the problem. That's a good point, And I would certainly agree with you on that. And while I think that I, I would tend to go along with Professor Hor- with what Professor Horvitz said. It is unlikely that more than a small proportion, but a significant proportion, but a, a certainly a, a minority of the wage gap is explainable through through discrimination. But the rest of the wage gap is fed by non-employment discrimination. Isn't that true? What do you mean by non-employment discrimination? Well, for example, the access of uh, African American people to good quality education. I don't really know that that's uh, completely fair. I think that certainly we can make improvements to our education system in the United States that would benefit students of all colors and Mm -hmm. both sexes. Um, But I I think you're lumping together a lot of factors there that I don't I don't agree are all due to discrimination. Oh no, Um, not all. But there's a fair whack of that. The choice factor. I mean, there is a choice factor. What, what, What black people and black women in particular choose to earn less. No, certainly no one chooses to earn less when they could earn more, right? It's yeah. just an economic principle. But people, and including women um, and women of color, are free to make choices about what they, you know, what they study, how many years of study, which colleges they attend, which majors they choose, and that certainly has. Yeah, no, an well, roll, roll back, roll back on that a little. A very large chunk of African American people, notably African American women, although men, perhaps men, perhaps more so, really have no choice to attend any college at all. Well. The extent to which that is a choice, I think, is up for debate. I mean, it's if it's a financial matter, um, certainly we can say that people in lower income brackets have a much harder time paying for college, mm-hmm. and that may affect a disproportionate number of people of color. Um, but that's that's a, a separate question besides whether colleges are looking at their applications and denying them access. Oh, oh sure. No, I'm not, not, not suggesting that. But I think a more thoughtful consideration of the earnings gap is that a very wide level of discrimination, perhaps it's not correct to call it discrimination, but the setup of society conspires to transmit poverty intergenerationally, that people whose parents worked minimum wage jobs that are insecure, that don't have any savings plans, that don't have health insurance that go with them and so forth, have little or no yes. chance of going to college themselves. And it doesn't matter how smart you are, you can forget about doing a college graduate job. Right. And this is where I would say we are in agreement. And what you're talking about, I would say, is the opportunities gap. Mm -hmm. And what I argue about the wage gap is that it is a measure of outcomes and a comparison of outcomes. Yeah. When, uh, in fact, there are better measures, um, for example, uh, the affordability of a college education or access to a college education. That's where the debate ought to be taking place. That's where really it doesn't have to be a debate. It can be a discussion and a, a problem solving uh, discussion. How do we make it more affordable and accessible? How do we make, you know, access to the human capital that different workers need to find, you know, better success in the workplace and that income mobility, social mobility, moving uh, from one quantile of, of wealth and income to a higher one, uh, 
sometimes referred to as the American dream, you yeah, know, yeah. building a better future for your family than the one that you uh, grew up or bo- were born into. And certainly that's a more productive discussion because then we're talking about equal opportunity, which mm-hmm. is something I think everyone believes in and, and believes that it should be a goal versus equality of outcomes. And that's why, you know, the wage gap just shouldn't be a part of that discussion because it's a measure of outcomes. Hadley Heath Manning, uh, the Director of Policy at the Independent Women's Forum and also at Independent Women's Voice. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. Never miss a show. Follow at Challenging O on Twitter and like Challenging Opinions on Facebook for updates on each show's contents. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on April 23rd, 2018. I've got a link to Hadley's websites and other information that we were talking about in the show notes on the website. If you know someone else who I should interview, or if you have a suggestion as to what I should cover, please get in touch. And you can like the show on Facebook, on Twitter, you can follow the show at Challenging O, and follow Hadley Heath Manning at Hadley Heath. But most importantly, subscribe to the show. It's free. You can use Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or pretty much any other podcast app or software. There's links and an RSS feed for all of that on the website. And if you don't use a podcast app or software, you can subscribe by email. Just enter your email address on the website. And each time a new show goes online, you'll get a free email with a simple link to click and listen to the show. But zero spam, I promise. You can find all of that or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. Coming up next Monday, that's April 30th, I'll be talking to Trita Parsi of the National Iranian American Council. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.